Mindfulness Mode 251. Invest in yourself and ask some of those real deep probing questions. And once you answer them, ask why. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, thanks again for joining me here, Mindful Tribe. Last time, my guest on Mindfulness Mode was a man who talks about making peace with your ego and how you can transcend it. I think you'll get a lot of value from Callan Diggs. You'll want to check out episode 250, mindfulnessmode.com slash 250. Today's guest is a meditator. Having recently completed a 10-day meditation retreat and He's determined to help others who are having a tough time moving forward. Now, I said he's a meditator. That's only one of the things he's done. And he's very driven to achieve. And yet he understands that piece about allowing things to happen when the time is right. Wait till you hear his amazing story of overcoming challenges. I'm sure you'll love this interview as much as I did. Sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to Brian Falchuk. Hey, Mindful Tribe. I am really excited today. I've got a guest that you're just going to love. His life journey is amazing. I have Brian Falchuk with me today. And Brian, I just, I'm, I'm excited to share your, your bio here at the beginning, but I want to ask, are you in mindfulness mode? I'm always in mindfulness mode. It's the only way to be. It is the only way to be. Brian Falchuk defied all the odds. He was over 100 pounds overweight. He was depressed. And if that wasn't enough, his wife was seriously ill and he was responsible for his young son. Incredibly, he succeeded in losing 100 pounds and he began running marathons. He changed his diet and became vegan and he made that change in one day, just like that, just instantly. He earned his master's degree from a top school and he rose to a senior executive position in a successful business. After transforming his own life, now Brian helps others make massive changes through the approach he teaches in his best-selling book called Do a Day. So it's such a simple title, but I I just think it's so powerful. Do a day. So Brian, what does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness is exactly what do a day is. So it's about letting yourself operate free of the judgment from yesterday and the fear, anticipation, because it can be over good or bad things, but those which may or may not befall us tomorrow. So free yourself from the past and the future. Focus on right here, right now. The reality is that's all your life is. You're only living right here and right now. So it's best to live that moment for that moment with that level of focus. Well, let's go back to that moment. That moment when you found yourself in a place that seemed impossible. You were overweight, you were depressed, you, your wife was ill. Take us back there. What was it like and how did you get to the point where you were able to make that massive change? Yeah, so that, that moment, um, I was overweight. That's not when I was 100 pounds overweight. I was an obese kid. And I had lost weight um, as a kid uh, in in high school, but my motivation was around how people were judging me, whether in reality or in my head, you know, whether I was speaking on their behalf of calling me the fat kid, it was about not being seen that way. 
And when I lost weight, I was in high school and I went to college and no one knew me as the fat kid anymore. So my motivation vanished. I liken it to, you know, when people lose weight for beach season, high school was my beach season. And when it was over, I had no reason to really stay on the same path. So I had started to gain weight, you know, through the years, life happened, responsibility happened. And with that came depression. Uh, you know, basically the setting back in of the things that I was trying to not have in my life. And there was a moment in 2011, it was June 30th, uh, my wife has chronic Lyme disease, which had come to a head then. That's when we learned what was going on. And she was bedridden. She was losing two pounds a day. Uh, our son was two years old. And, you know, every spouse ultimately loses their spouse unless they go first. Typically, that happens when you're much older than your early 30s and having just started your, your family. So that was a pretty grave thing to be facing. And there was this moment, I had just gotten off the phone with her doctor who was going on vacation and he just said, well, let's check in when I'm back in six weeks. And I said, you know, do the math. She can't even get out of bed. She's losing two pounds a day. She won't be here in six weeks. And his response was, oh, just take her to the ER then. And it was kind of like, you know, this is a, a wife and a mother and a good human being and you are supposed to be duty bound to care and you clearly don't. Wow. And that's the context, and my son is watching that. So he's watching his mother vanish before his eyes. And he's watching his father do the same thing, just at a slower rate. And this all came to me in a moment where I was standing here, my son was standing in front of me, and we were both looking on at my wife in bed. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And it wasn't, it wasn't so much about her situation in and of itself, it was about my role as his father and what this little boy is having to experience right now and mm -hmm. whether it was acceptable the way I was being as his father. And it wasn't. I wasn't living up to what I needed to do. Now, a really key thing is just because I hadn't been doesn't mean I can't be. So I'm not a bad father, but I haven't been doing what I needed to do. And that difference in how I defined my role and how I define myself and the compassion for myself to say, you know, just because I didn't do well before doesn't mean I can't do well now. That was this wake up moment. So I had my sense of true enduring motivation and my role responsibilities to my son. And I, I came about that in a very compassionate way. And when I woke up the next morning, my life was different and it has been since then. And you know, it's just past the six year mark. So what's the first change that you made, the first physical change? Yeah, so I had put on most of the weight that I had lost over the years. Now I didn't look obese anymore. I always say I just looked American. Oh. Um, you know, I looked like everybody else. No one would look at me and be like, oh, he's, he's fat. They might just say, oh, he's, you know, he's healthy, whatever yeah. that means. Like yeah. I was a good solid man. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I had been exercising every morning, but it was a very mindless kind of exercise. I'd get on the elliptical and I would cover the screen with a magazine or a computer with a TV show. And I would just kind of zone out. Next thing I know, the machine's beeping because it's done. And I, it's like, how did I even get here? The, the absolute antithesis of mindfully participating in my wellness. So that changed. I, I didn't block the screen. I went into it with um, one of these uh, uh, interval programs. And right. when the interval hit, I didn't just sort of like, oh, that's uncomfortable. I gunned it. You really? And, um, you know, I, I clearly was exercising differently and I cared that it was different. So I had this purpose that I hadn't felt before because I'm not going to be there for my son if I'm unhealthy. And during that exercise, I also took the time to think about where I was at in life 
and who I was being. And so I was applying, it wasn't quite meditation, but it was a meditative approach to reflection and, you know, trying to sort things out. And so I, I started to invest in myself and be okay with myself in a way that I hadn't been. And that, that's how I start every day. I actually start every day meditating properly. And then I go into my exercise routine, which is, again, a very self-work kind of thing. And when did you decide to become vegan? Yeah, so that was in January of 2014. Okay. Uh, that was, I was reading a, an autobiography by this vegan ultra athlete named Rich Roll, who's been a huge inspiration to me. And I had read, I had read similar books from other vegan ultra athletes. I don't know it's a whole genre apparently of these like vegan ultra runners. And I thought it was interesting, but I kept coming back to all of these future states that I was afraid of. You know, I travel a lot for work. So it was like, well, what if I'm at a work dinner and everyone's going to a steak place and then what am I supposed to eat? You know, can I just have the side of lettuce or, you know, whatever, everything's cooked in butter. So I can't, I can't even have the vegetables or, you know, my son's birthday party and he'll want me to have a piece of cake with him. And, and I can't partake in that joy that he wants. Um, and, and, you know, all these other situations where none of them was happening, they may or may not, but nothing was happening right now. Yet that was always a good enough excuse for me to say no. You were creating it in your mind. Completely. And whether I faced them or not, I wasn't facing them now. So I literally said out loud, I, this is when my whole philosophy and the book got a title as I just said, you know, I can do a day. And it was like, oh, I should pay attention to that phrase. That, that may be something that comes up later. So I woke up the next day and I just said, today's the day. I'm going to be vegan today uh-huh. and we'll see how it goes because I'm not traveling. It's nobody's birthday. You know, I can control today. So I went through the day and I found that it was far easier than I had been making it out to be. And the truth is that's how most challenges, quote unquote challenges, really are. They tend to be a lot easier than we work them up to be in our mind because we're not being present in them. We're adding on all these possible what if moments that we're not actually facing. And when I got done with day one, I just said, you know, that was such a relief. I wasn't scrutinizing what I was eating. It's pretty obvious. Like if there's a hunk of steak in the middle of your salad, it's probably not vegan. You know, I don't have to read through all the ingredients to see like, oh, the sugar level is this or it's got this other ingredient I'm trying to avoid or my doctor said, no, just if it's a fruit or vegetable, you're good. If it's not, avoid it. Um, so that was so easy. I just said, oh, I'll do another day. And what, what was that to like? two and a half, almost three years ago. And I will say I haven't been 100% vegan 100% of the time because I have faced some moments where I made a different choice, but I made that choice on purpose. I understood why I was making it. And when it was done, instead of saying, oh, now I've ruined everything, I'm no longer vegan because of something I did yesterday or earlier today, I said, I can make a different choice now and be vegan again. So you know, there's a handful of times where I've chosen differently, like my son's birthday, and I put that choice behind me. I understand why I made it. And I go right back on the path I was on. And did you lose weight as a result of being vegan? You know, it's really interesting. I had lost weight already, but I continued yeah. to exercise partially for weight maintenance. Since becoming a vegan, I don't have to exercise to keep my weight the same. So I'm actually dealing with, I have a torn meniscus and I've had to very largely cut back my exercise. And I went about four weeks with literally zero exercise whatsoever. And my weight stayed exactly the same. So I don't exercise for weight maintenance anymore. I exercise because I actually, believe it or not, I enjoy it, which I, you know, I never How would have thought that happen? say. Yeah, wild, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm working with someone who's, uh, he was a runner, but he ran for his fitness level 
he suffered a pretty major heart attack. He looked super fit, but his diet wasn't great. So under the surface, uh, his arteries were becoming occluded, becoming filled with that plaque that leads to a heart attack. He, he is mostly vegan at this point. And he said to me, he's, he's lost weight as a result, which he didn't even know he had to lose. But he said, you know, I, I have rediscovered exercise as an enjoyable activity instead of the thing you have to do to undo the other things you're doing or instead of being a punishment. And he's like, it's actually really nice. So his runs aren't beating himself up or payback for something. They're just an enjoyable experience. And he's like, I never even noticed, you know, some of the things along the path I run on that are really nice to look at. I started running with my son and we have these great conversations now because my mind isn't weighted down by this, like it's a punishment or it's because of that bad choice you made yesterday or because you might make a bad choice tomorrow. It's just something he's doing for himself right now. I Isn't see. that beautiful? That is. That's amazing. So you ran a marathon and maybe you've, you've done several, have you? I've done one at this point, um, and I, it's my first, which is different from saying my only. So um, the nice thing about your first is it will always be your best performance to date. So I, I had the way that it went, and it didn't go perfectly, and that's fine. I understand why. I understand what I would have done differently. I ended up catching a bug a couple days before the event, and that, that's a big part of why you know it went off the rails. To me, it's a beautiful example of the book, and I have a whole chapter on the marathon because marathon training is very much a single do a day every day to build up to your ability to run it. If you look at that whole training plan, it's daunting. So I call the chapter my 725-mile marathon because that's roughly the total distance of the planet, the uh, the prep phase and, and all the buildup and the actual race. That's daunting, just like losing 100 pounds. It it, it's too daunting for most people to engage in. Well, but same with running. writing a book, you know, people think, oh, yeah. I can't write a whole book, you know, right. but if you just write a couple of pages at a time, then you can pull it off, right? Exactly. So it's not, you know, I, I wasn't running 725 miles all at once. And on day one, you know, I couldn't even run the 15 or 16 miles that one of my long runs would be in about six weeks. But that's irrelevant because I'm not running it right now. And everything I'm going to do between now and then will build up. And, and I, I talk about a lot that success begets success. So you win your way to your ultimate goal. I will build my way up and win my way to that bigger, that bigger goal. So is, is running pleasurable for you now? Yeah, which very much not something I, I thought I'd ever say. And that's, you know, with my knee the way it is right now, I really can't run um, until this resolves. And I miss it, uh, which I just, you know, I look back on the years. and I'm like, if I went back in time and told myself that exact phrase, I just look at myself with such like, what is wrong with you? You know, are you on drugs or something? This is crazy. But yeah, I, I genuinely enjoy it. I get in my own head. I think through a lot of things and I like to run outside. Um, you know, I've always been an indoors workout kind of person, but running is just a, a bit of freedom that I've really come to appreciate. So you help people find their true motivation and how do you do that? Because there are so many people out there that think they know what motivates them and they really don't, or people that are struggling and they're in a dead-end job and they just think there's nothing out there for them. How do you go about helping somebody find their true motivation? Yeah, so I ask um, some probing questions, but I can't answer them for you. And some people get frustrated with that. He was like, can't you just tell me? No, I can't. If you want it to be your real motivation, I can't tell you, unless I just happen to hit upon it without realizing it. 
So I help people on that introspective journey because the reality is most people today don't take the time to get to know themselves. Maybe it's too scary. You know, maybe there are things under the surface that they don't want to face or that they buried, or maybe they think they're too busy for it. Or the reality is they're just not being mindful. So pause, invest in yourself, and ask some of those real deep probing questions. And once you answer them, ask why. So, you know, there's a, in, uh, I have an ops background, and in operations, there's this idea of lean, where you, you take the waste out of things. And one of the processes is what they call the five whys. So when you come to an answer, you ask why. And then you answer that and you ask why until you get down. It's about digging out the surface level, true reason behind something. Yeah. So I, I was working with someone and I talk about this in the book. It's the most common reason why people tell me that they exercise is because I feel better. And this is someone who's come to me about why they're not exercising and they've given me their motivation is I know when I exercise, I feel better. So no, that's not your motivation. Yes, it is. Yeah, I, f- I feel better. So that's why I do it. I said, no, because if it was your motivation, you wouldn't have come to me about why you're not working out. So the point is, it's not motivating you. Why do you feel better when you do it? And then they'll give me an, well, usually they argue with me that, no, I just don't understand. And sometimes they'll come back the next day and like, no, you're right. Mm-hmm. So we, we get into this back and forth and then, well, this is why I feel better as a result of it. Or and I'm, I'm saying, you know, it's more like, why does feeling better matter? That's a better question than just why do you feel better? It's like, well, because X, Y, Z. Okay, well, why does X, Y, Z matter? And so you start to peel back the onion and eventually you get to some core thing. And it's, well, because my father died when I was five years old of a heart attack and I don't ever want to do that to my child because I know what I experienced. Like, ah, oh, now you're onto something much bigger. And it's, it's like, you know, we started with this surface of like, yeah, I feel better. Like, that's great. I'm glad you feel better, but that's not motivating you. And we get down to this responsibility as a parent or responsibility as a friend or a spouse or, you know, feelings about some issue or, you know, I have this illness and if I work out, then it doesn't affect me. But if I don't, then I start down the wrong path. And, you know, I want to be able to enjoy my time after I'm working. So if I don't do these things now, then I'm not going to get that enjoyment in retirement. It's like, all right, that's a different answer than just, I feel better. So what do I do to help people? Actually, I get a little bit annoying. So I, I don't I don't allow them to give those surface level answers. That's what a coach, a good coach is really about is to challenge you and, and call you out when maybe you're not being honest with yourself. Sure, that makes sense. On page 125 of your book, you talk about sleeplessness and you talk about how you can help people to not suffer from sleeplessness. Can you yeah. expand on that for us? One thing that I, I've struggled with this myself, and that's why I feel like I'm at least slightly qualified to work on it. Mm-hmm. One thing that I tend to find when I'm having a bad night's sleep, and a, or more importantly, when I'm having a, a tough time falling asleep, mm-hmm. is you realize it's because you're ruminating. So I'm spinning through all kinds of things in my head, and they're either judgments or what ifs from before, or the fear of something yet to come. And maybe it's not fear, maybe it's positive. So I remember a long time ago, but the night before I went to get my driver's license and take the test, I didn't sleep at all. Because I was so, you know, as a kid, and I was like, ooh, I'm gonna get to drive and get a car and and everything's hinging on that. And, you know, it's, it's the positive anticipation, but nonetheless, anticipation. For sure. If you bring a mindful approach, those things aren't happening right now. So... I help people to, to think about how to bring yourself back into the present moment. And in that type of situation, when you're trying to fall asleep, actually meditation is probably the best tool that any of us has. 
So some deep breathing to clear yourself out and then trying to release what's going on in your mind from before and from the after. And a lot of that actually can come down to picking it apart and breaking it down into its component pieces because then it loses some of its power. And you've given it a name, you've called it out, you've understood what's making it tick, and then it doesn't have the same power over you because you've realized it's not a, a powerful thing in and of itself, it's just a combination of multiple dependent things. It's a very Buddhist approach, but it has a, it has a very strong effect. I also tell people, write it down. So your mind is worrying about it because it, some piece of you is afraid you're going to miss out or you're going to screw up because you're not going to stay, you know, keyed in on that issue. Well, write it down because then your mind can say, I've made a note of it. I put it somewhere. It no longer has to stay front and center in my mind because I've made, made it so I don't miss out on this. I've made it so I'm aware of it. And you can start to release a bit or maybe at least go into the meditation knowing like it's okay if I let go of this because I've protected myself from it in another way without having to ruminate. Right. I like that. Yeah, I like that. I want to ask you if you were ever bullied. Were you ever, do you have a story about bullying that you can share with us? Well, I mentioned I was the fat kid. So was I bullied? Yeah, very much so um, Mm. by plenty of people. And I, I think I'm really lucky because there were a lot of people who didn't bully me as well. There were a lot of just good friends, but they saw me in that fat kid vein. Interestingly enough, the story I will tell you is not from that period in my life. So I wasn't the blatant like, oh, that's the one that's going to get picked on. I'll tell you one from quite recently. You know, you, you framed it as successful senior executive and, and all this stuff. In that role of being a successful senior executive, I can tell you the grass is not green anywhere. We all struggle. Just because I've had success doesn't mean everything's easy. And I had a situation in work where um, someone was essentially trying to take me down. And it's someone who's very well respected and um, used to be a a litigator. So they know how to attack people and how to make a case and all that. And it's a person who's been pretty successful in that. Um, And so whether they were aware of it or not, they were essentially trying to get me fired. And um, they it didn't it didn't happen, (laughs) which is good. Glad to know that. Yeah. So the key reason is. It's all in how I responded in the moment. And historically, I would have gotten real, really riled up. So we were in a meeting where they, I knew it was coming, the attack came on full force, and they were quoting a lot of facts that were not actually facts. They were just statements of things that they put out there as facts, and then everyone sort of nodded and said, oh, that's, that's interesting, or oh, that's true. None of it was true. And so the question for me is, how do I respond? Historically, I would get defensive and argue back. Mm-hmm. Guess what? It doesn't tend to work out so well because you're feeding into what's letting that bully thrive. They're thriving off negativity and the confrontation of it. So if you give that right back to them, you're just amping it up. So what I did instead was I kept very calm. Now I've, I've been studying Buddhism and I was in the midst of my early days of studying it. So this is a really good and strong early test, but it worked. So I kept mindful of one very important fact about everyone in the world is ultimately we all seek to be happy. That may not feel that way in that moment. And you may think, well, this person doesn't want to be happy. They just want to hurt me. And that's a very like the world is doing this to me kind of view that doesn't help you. Mm -hmm. The reality is that person wants to be happy. I may not agree with their methodology, but ultimately it's because they think they're right or my being taken down somehow benefits them in their mind. Whether they're aware of that or not is a different question. 
But going into it with that mindset, it allows you to appreciate the situation quite differently. So I allowed for just a moment that they just wanted to be happy. And I may not like their approach, but if I go into it thinking that I end up being able to have compassion for them, compassion for someone else, even if they're there to hurt you, allows you to stay calm. And I'm on, on this wrist, usually it's on this one, I flipped them for the day, is a heart rate monitor. And uh, it doesn't track my activity, it tracks the opposite, it tracks my recovery. So it's constantly watching for how amped up am I getting. And I looked back after this meeting at what did my heart rate do? Because outwardly I was very calm, but you know, was I a duck where a duck looks peaceful on the surface, but their feet are going like this underwater? Right. No, my heart actually stayed totally calm. So it wasn't just me putting out the right image, I was internally at peace. And that allowed me to take those, those bullying jabs in and have a much more cohesive, coherent, and peaceful response that everyone else was like, oh yeah, I didn't even think of that. That essentially shut down the argument and got the person to step their approach down. So I didn't just shut her down by what I was saying, which is a, a combative approach. I essentially negated the so-called facts, which weren't. But I also got her to let her guard down because she she was expecting a response of course. that she didn't get. I instead had compassion for her. And I said, you know, you, you said this, looking at the data, actually, this is what's happening. But I want to go back to what you said. Why is it that you're looking at it that way? Can I ask you, are you, are you worried about this? And she actually sat back and said, yeah, because that if, if this is what's playing out, this is what's going to happen to me. And the whole meeting was kind of like, oh, this is someone who's afraid of herself being taken down, which is the opposite of her happiness. And her way of dealing with that was by trying to hurt someone else in her place. Right. And so I allowed for her to be okay. It didn't have to be about me losing my job. It didn't have to be about the attack on me. So that, that to me is, you know, it's not easy to do. And I won't say I'll do it every, every single time that I've been in since that event. But I've found I tried to, I mean, I did it the other day, I got cut off on the highway. And normally I'd be honking and maybe raising one of my fingers, I'm not gonna say which one, and, and shouting <laughs> things. No, yeah. I actually smiled and I felt totally peaceful because I realized as much as that just made me later, that guy just wanted to get home faster or get to wherever he's going. And look, he just got one car closer to where he's heading. And I can be okay with that. And the reality is, does it really matter to me? Not unless I let it matter to me. Right. So that's how I deal with bullying now. Well, wow, that's a great story, and I love the way you framed it and, and uh, explained it. Thank you for that. I want to ask you what you were like as a 12-year-old kid, because you seem like you're so analytical and you're so calm. And you're so... Was there a prediction when you were a child that you were going to be that type of adult, Brian? No, no, not in the slightest. So I weighed 60 pounds more than I do now. Um, I was very unhappy, very defensive, very reactionary. Now I'm still, if you can't tell, I'm, you said I'm calm in some ways, but I'm also very passionate. So I get very energized about things and I'm constantly doing a lot. That's how I thrive. I'm not scattered, but I'm directed. I think that was the same back then. I've always been a very directed and achieving oriented person. Um, there was some instability in my house growing up. I'm the youngest of four. There was divorce very early on and that, you know, half of the country in the U.S. is, is a product of that or going through it themselves. So it's very common mm -hmm. um, that led to instability that at a very young age, 
like what do kids ultimately need? They need to feel safe and taken care of. Whether they're aware of that or not, that yes. that desire and the fear of losing that drives a lot of children's reactions. Uh, seeking to be happy, it's it's there for us. So I had a very strong fear and evidence that I wasn't being taken care of. It wasn't just a paranoia; it, it was actually happening. So I learned at a very early age to be extremely self-reliant because I had to be, and. I could be all, oh, woe was me about it, but there's a, there's toughness that's resulting from that. And there are things I've had to work through emotionally, but there's a lot of benefit too, because I'm quite a capable person and I can get through anything. Now I felt that, and I'm aware of having felt that as a 12 year old. So depression and, and obesity and uncertainty around my family situation, but also a sense of self-reliance that I'm not sure a lot of 12 year olds get to feel. Right. As we begin to wrap things up, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So we'll just yeah. zoom through this. 30-second answers. The first one is, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Uh, I would say Rich Roll, who I mentioned before, is that vegan ultra-athlete. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Brian? Mindfulness affects all of my emotions right now, as I've been sharing with you. It's what yeah. keeps me able to handled everything that's thrown at me. And tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Breathing is a very centering exercise. It releases and brings you back in. So I find when I am less mindful, a few very deep breaths pull me right back into the moment. Well, I'm excited to read Do a Day. I've read a lot of it already. But tell me this, uh, do you recommend a book that's related to mindfulness? I do. There's one book that it's what I started my Buddhism journey on. It's the most beautiful book I've ever read, the most powerful thing out there. And I say that inclusive of my book, I'm not gonna lie, definitely a better read. Uh, it's called Open Heart, Clear Mind by Thubten Chodron. She's a, a Buddhist monk. Um, it's, it's just the most beautiful thing out there and it will literally change your life if you're open to it. Okay, great, I look forward to reading that one as well. And can you share an app? that either helps you or you think it would help your clients to be more mindful? I uh, used to use an app called Headspace when I was new to meditation and you hear it all over the place. I love Headspace, it's really well done. So that's, that's an easy way to get into meditation. Um, I don't use anything at this point, but that was a big help for me. Right, well, thank you so much for being on the show. How can we connect with you? How can we grab your book? Just share that with us if you would. Great. So uh, everyone can find me at doadaybook.com. There's links to everything. You can get the book there. Um, there's links to me on social media. I'm either at doadaybook. Uh, and personally, I'm at newbody, N-E-W-B-O-D-I. I'm a columnist for Inc. Magazine. There's a link to that at doadaybook.com. But you can read some of the thinking behind the book because that influences the articles. Uh, and for your listeners, I wanted to offer a discount on the book. Great. So they can go to doadaybook.com slash MM discount and you'll get $4 off the paperback. Ebook's cheaper than that, but a lot of people do like that physical book. So just to offer that is a bit of help for your listeners. Yeah, I, I appreciate the physical book as well. So MM discount standing for mindfulness mode. So yeah, doadaybook.com slash MM discount. So yeah, grab that book. That book is amazing. The parts I've read, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate having you on the show, Brian. So thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you very much, Bruce. It's really important to spread the message of mindfulness. So I love the work that you're doing. 
thanks so much. All the best and have a great day, Brian. Thank you, you too. Yep, bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.